0: This is a Courageous Church podcast, equipping and empowering you to live a courageous life. Join us now as we listen to a message from Courageous Church in Salt Lake City, Utah. We've been in this series called Renewal, talking about God making all things new. If you have that scripture, go ahead and put it up. Revelation chapter 21, verse five, has kind of been our theme verse throughout this series. And Jesus, at his... Father's side from the throne says this, Behold, I am making all things new. Did you guys notice the present tense? I am making, currently, present tense, all things new. Not I made all things new. Not I'm going to make things new. But I am making all things new. I wonder if you felt the sway or the pull, the gravity, if you will, of the Holy Spirit wanting to make new things in your life. I have. Certainly throughout this 21 days, I've felt God speaking to me stronger than I've heard him all this last previous year. And I really believe that the invitation that he's making to us is to step in to the new, to shut the door on the old, come on, to shut the door on 2020's problems and to embrace all of 2021's possibilities. Amen? So tonight, I want to talk to you about what it means to enlarge your vision of Jesus and a message that I'm calling, He Must Increase and We Must Decrease. Are you with me? Well, let me ask you a question to start tonight. How's your vision? Not your your physical vision. Some of you wear contacts. Some of you wear glasses. My wife happens to wear both. I, on the other hand, happen to have perfect 2020 vision. I'm just one of the blessed ones, apparently. But let me ask you how's your vision not your physical vision but your spiritual vision. In other words, how's your ability to perceive and behold things in the supernatural. Tonight I believe God wants to speak to us about what we behold, about what it means to have renewed vision for our lives. The truth is, hindsight's 2020, right? Ironically, at the start of last year, every pastor on the planet was planning their annual series and and messages around 2020, having clear, perfect vision. And what happened was a year that none of us saw coming, (laughs) that none of us could have been prepared for. But I believe that it's easy to look in the rear view and to see what God was doing and was up to then. But I believe that he wants to help us to see and reset our vision for what he's wanting to do Now, in this coming season. And last week we talked prophetically about Ezekiel. We looked at Ezekiel 37 and we looked at the invitation to Ezekiel to rise up and speak life over dry bones. Anybody enjoy that message? And I believe that's still the invitation that God wants us to lean into tonight. So I want to press us just a little bit further in this direction. And I want to begin with a statement. I believe our ability to behold or perceive what God is up to is critical, hear me on this, is critical to our success and our effectiveness as a church to be able to accomplish the mission that he's given us. Can I say that again? I believe our ability to behold, which is just a fancy word to see, our ability to see what God is up to is critical to our effectiveness and to the success of our ability to carry out the mission that he's given us. What is the mission of Courageous Church? Well, here it is, to equip and empower people to love, follow, and serve Jesus courageously in the earth. And as a church, we are committed to this. We are committed to seeing this happen in Salt Lake City. We're committed to seeing this happen in the Mountain West. And we're committed to seeing this happen to the ends of the earth. We believe what starts in Jerusalem must work its way out to the ends of the earth. Meaning there's things in this house, there's, there's DNA, and there's, there's things that God wants to do through us as courageous followers of Jesus that I believe is going to have uh, impact in the world. Anybody believe that? Anybody believe that what God is calling you to directly is going to change the world? When I was a young man, there was a song that was popular by a band named Delirious. It was called History Makers. And man, I used to sing that song every day. I'm going to be a history maker in this land. I'm going to be a speaker of truth to all mankind. Anybody remember that one? Before I butcher it. Well, I still believe that. I still believe that God is raising up history makers in the earth. So don't look at your current situation or even your current location as insignificant. Because I believe that God has placed you here for a reason And for a season, come on somebody. And some of you, you've been here for a long time. Your season's just a little longer than the rest of us. Some of us got here a little late to the party. That's me, California boy, born and raised with sand between my toes. And here I am having to trade in my flip-flops for a snowboard. And I love it. And I wouldn't want it any other way. Some of you that came from other parts of this country can relate. But regardless of when we got here, the good news is we're here. And God has appointed us and has chosen us and is directing our steps. Come on. I believe that there is more in store for this church than what meets the eye. And so we're very excited about this mission that the Lord has given us to equip and to empower people. When I say equip and empower, why is that important? Well, number one, you can be equipped and not be empowered. You can be resourced and I can preach at you and I can give you all the best of what God has for you and you can choose to sit on your hands. Consequently, you can also be well-empowered and be given plenty of opportunity to rise up in this church and make a huge difference, but not necessarily be the most equipped. What I I believe God wants to do is marry the two, to be well-equipped, to be well-empowered, to do what? To love, follow, and serve Jesus courageously. That's the mandate of every disciple, of every follower of Jesus. It's to love Jesus. What does it mean to love Jesus? It's to behold him. It's to worship him. It's to adore him. And what happens when we love Jesus? We're going to follow Jesus. We're going to obey Jesus. We're going to trust Jesus. And what happens when we obey and trust Jesus? We're going to serve Jesus. And I believe that God is calling us not just to eke our way through life and not just survive, but thrive, which means we're going to do it courageously. And courage is not a personality type. It's not a temperament. Courage is the presence of God within our lives saying, come on, church, let's step up. I've made you for more. I've created you for more. There's more in store for you in 2021 than what you walked through in 2020, amen? So let me ask you again, how's your vision? How's your ability to perceive and behold all of that? Today, I wanna press us in this direction and I believe this includes primarily how we see Jesus in our life. I believe that we become like what we behold. Can I repeat that? We become like what we behold. Meaning what you're fixated on, what you're gazing at, what you're staring into is going to become and, and, and you're going to become what you're looking into. It's a biblical principle that what we worship, we become like. And I believe that a lot of us have been focusing on all the wrong things rather than focusing on the one, true king, the conqueror, the one who's already gone before us, the one who's defeated death, the one who's defeated sin, the one who's defeated the devil, and who made a way for us to step into our God-given identity as sons and daughters of the Most High. How amazing is that? Thank you, Jesus, for your work on that cross. Thank you, Jesus, that you rose from the grave. Thank you, Jesus, that you're now calling us to be more than conquerors in Christ Jesus in you. So let me ask you, how's your vision? We could say it this way. What consumes your vision? What are you looking at? What are you giving your attention to? I believe God wants us to have a bigger vision of him than we've ever had before which means that we need to allow our vision of our problems to decrease. Come on, so that he can increase and be put on display in our lives. If you have your Bibles, or you just grabbed one, turn with me to the book of John, the Gospel of John, chapter 3. It's going to be our primary text for the evening. And we're going to start right there in verse 25, and I'll be reading from the ESV through verse 30. And here's what it says. Now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan to whom you bore witness, look, he's baptizing people and everybody's going to him now. And John answered, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given to him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I've been sent before him. The one who has the bride Is the bridegroom the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice? Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. And here's where I want us to focus in tonight He must increase, but I must decrease. Now, to set this up for us, John has been baptizing people in preparation for the coming of Jesus in preparation for the coming of Messiah. And we see this in the New Testament early on in the Gospel of John. Flash forward, and Jesus has now appeared on the scene. He's come to John, and John has baptized him in the River Jordan. Years ago, I was able to go to Israel, and it was such a life-changing trip. And let me say this. If I can encourage you, if you ever get the opportunity to go to Israel, go. It will change your life. It'll change your perspective It'll replace all of the images that you have from reading the Bible with actual real places. How cool is that? I remember when I went, I saw Jerusalem for the first time and it totally blew me away. It looked nothing like the image I had in my head because the truth is when we read the Bible, oftentimes we're relying on our imagination for good or for worse. And I got to go down to the River Jordan. Here's the funny part about the River Jordan. It's a muddy river. (laughs) It's really dirty. Anybody been there? Jan, you been there? it's not very glamorous. And so here John is, John, this crazy wild prophet, one of the last prophets before Jesus shows up on the scene, he's out there in the middle of this dirty, mucky, ugly water, and he's dunking people. He's immersing people for the remission of their sins in preparation for the coming kingdom that Jesus is about to inaugurate. And so Jesus shows up on the scene and he appears before John. And John's like, Whoa, 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 I shouldn't be the one baptizing you. And Jesus says, No, it has to be this way for scripture to be fulfilled. And so John baptizes him and Jesus comes up out of the water. And what happens? The Holy Spirit descends upon him like a dove. And Jesus' father, our father in heaven, says, Behold, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And so now Jesus, after being baptized, is sent out into the desert to pray and fast for not 21 days, come on somebody, for 40. He's out there being tested. He's out there being worked on. He's out there being tempted by the enemy. We know from the rest of the story that Jesus overcomes the devil and the temptations that the enemy threw at him, through God's word, through feasting on God's word and declaring God's word as we saw last week with Ezekiel. And so Jesus now is fired up. It says that angels attend to him and then he goes into the synagogue and he opens up the scroll to Isaiah 61 and he says, this is now fulfilled in your hearing. I have come to bring good news to the captives. Come on, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, to see the the blind recover their sight right? And so we see this picture of Jesus stepping into his mission. And now from that point forward, Jesus starts baptizing folks. So here we have John the Baptist at the height of his glory and fame and influence and notoriety as the baptizer, the guy that you go to to get your sins taken care of. But here's the deal. A new sheriff has rolled into town. Jesus has pulled up and he is baptizing people. And so now we see from this text, people that were following John, John's disciples, John's Insta followers, John's Facebook friends are like, what's the deal? Like Jesus is baptizing people now, John, I thought that's what you did. I thought that's what your primary ministry was. I thought you were the guy that was supposed to be baptizing everybody. Why is Jesus now the one doing it? Do you see kind of the dilemma that's developing here? The tension between people that have followed a man and have made it their life's work to follow and and embrace somebody at the height of their fame and influence. We see this in the church, don't we? We see people that get caught up in following men rather than Jesus. We see people who who camp out with their favorites. Come on, I love Stephen Furtick. Come on, I love Brian Houston. Come on, I love Bill Johnson. Come on, I love a lot of these guys. But what do I see? I see a lot of people right now camping out in these theological camps and tribes, and they're just worshiping the messenger rather than the one who's the source of the message. Come on. And we could go back even further into church history this happened with Luther, it happened with Calvin, it happened with the Reformers, it happened with the early church fathers. People picked and choose who their favorites were. Shoot, it even happened with Paul the Apostle. Paul had been planting churches, and a better, pe- a better preacher than Paul, named Apollos, comes on the scene, and he's got the goods, baby. He's more charismatic, he can dance, he can sing, he can do it all. He's a triple threat. And everybody's like, wow, Apollos is so great. And Paul says, listen, don't make it about us, guys. Who cares if Apollos is great? Who cares if, if I'm great? Let's, let's remember who this is about. This is about Messiah. This is about the true king, the coming king. And so John is going to set his disciples here straight. And he says to them, a person can't receive anything unless it's given to him from heaven. So stop making this about the flesh. Stop making this about who's more popular. Stop making this about who said what and who sells more books and who fills up tours and who, you see where I'm going? Yeah. Stop making about all that because you yourself bear witness to this. I told you I'm not the Christ. I am not the Messiah. Guys, I preached a seven point message on it. You remember that podcast? I am not Jesus. Jesus. You know who I am? I'm the guy that prepares the way. I'm the guy that's been out in the desert declaring faithfully the word of the Lord when it wasn't popular. We see later on, shortly thereafter, that John is imprisoned for his willingness to obey God and to get out of Jesus' way. We know that it literally cost John his life. It literally cost him his head because John wouldn't stop speaking truth when it was unpopular to do so. Herod, the king, married his brother's wife. <laughs> and John said, you've broken the law, bro. And that ain't cool. And rather than give in and, 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 and play games and placate this political leader, John holds his ground. And ultimately, Herod has John's head lifted from his body. But John, I believe, understood that he was just a messenger. He was just the guy that prepares the way. He was just the one that was holding the line for when Messiah would show up and bring about this kingdom in new and exciting ways. So John says to his disciples, guys, I'm not the Messiah. I told you this. I'm not the Christ. I am the guy that's been sent before him. And then he uses this, this remarkable analogy. He uses wedding language. He says in verse 29, the one who has the bride is the bridegroom. He's talking about Jesus with the people. He says, the friend of the bridegroom, that's John, who stands and gets to hear him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. In other words, I'm on team Jesus. I'm excited about Messiah. I'm excited just to be a part of the wedding celebration. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He's saying to his followers, look guys, there's a party going on. It's time to party with Jesus. Y'all are worried because you're playing favorites and you're frustrated and you're upset and you're missing out on celebrating the coming of our King. I wonder if we like them miss out on spending time with and celebrating Jesus because of our own religious misunderstanding. I wonder if we like them have been looking at God through glasses that have become foggy due to our own past experiences and hurt and disappointment. Can I encourage you and challenge you today? Jesus is so much bigger than the lens that we use to behold him. Jesus is so much bigger than the lens that we use to behold him. Maybe you grew up in the church. Maybe you didn't. Maybe you grew up in another kind of church Maybe you didn't grow up in church at all. Maybe you grew up in an atheist or agnostic family. And maybe you've been looking at the world through that kind of lens. And I'm here tonight to encourage you to broaden your vision, to take God out of the box, and maybe see him in ways that you've never seen him before. I believe Jesus is bigger than the religious lenses that we use to behold him. And I believe that today, if we'd be hungry enough and thirsty enough, For more of him, he's going to expand our vision. And so John continues with this statement, and he says this in verse 30. He must increase, but I must decrease. I want us just to sit with this thought for a moment here before we rush ahead. I want to let this thought, he must increase, but I must decrease, simmer in your soul just a little bit. Regardless of what you've been walking through, currently, in this season of your life, regardless of what you've gone through, I believe this. Jesus wants to increase in us. But in order for him to increase in your life, something's got to give. You must decrease. And I believe the way forward for us as disciples, as followers of Jesus, is anchored to this reality. Jesus must increase in our lives, and we must decrease, meaning We need to learn how to get out of the way. Easier said than done, right? Yeah. John knew that the time for him to step out of the way had come. John was faithful to do what God asked him to do. But there came a time when John had to step out of the way, when he had to relinquish his ministry so that Messiah could step up and onto the scene. Of course, we know Jesus was going to do it anyways. But how much more difficult would it have been if John had held on if John had made it about him, if John had made it about his ministry and his gifts and his anointing and his calling, now John was willing to lay it down, to literally lay down his life so that Jesus could be put on greater display. None of us have a patent on what it means to behold Jesus, none of us have a patent on ministry, what it means to love, follow, and serve Jesus. None of us know how long we have on this earth. We don't know if tomorrow's promised to us or not. But all of us are given the same opportunity. Hear me on this. All of us are given the same opportunity each and every day to make much of Jesus. Every one of us has the same amount of time, the same amount of days in a week, the same amount of seconds per day to make much of Jesus when we talk about enlarging our vision of Jesus this is what we mean this is what we're talking about he must increase in us so that we can decrease and get out of the way so today I want to look at three ways that we can do this practically are you tracking with me tonight I want to talk about three ways that we decrease so that Christ can increase in our lives if you're with me say amen Number one, Christ increases when we serve other people. Jesus himself said this in Mark chapter 10, verses 42 through 45. So Jesus called his disciples together and said, you know that the rulers in this world lord it over people and officials flaunt their authority over those underneath them. Anybody ever experienced that? Oh yeah, but among you, it will, it must be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you underline this, whoever wants to be a leader, all right, we, we all want to be leaders, so here's what it means. If anybody wants to be a leader, you must be their servant. Verse 44, and whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave of everyone else. Whoa, 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 hold on, Jesus. Slavery's bad, right? The word that Jesus used here for slave is actually the word doulos in the Greek, and it means bond it means someone who strenuously labors for another person, someone that's tied to and connected to strenuously laboring and working for another. Jesus says, "You want to be a leader? Then you need to be a servant. But if you really want to be the best, can I let you in on a little secret? You really want to be the greatest? You need to be a slave, a doulos, a bond servant of just those you like. Come on, just your employer." of everyone else. Man, I thought following Jesus was supposed to be easy. Verse 45, For even the Son of Man came, not to be served, but to serve others, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Friends, Jesus himself came not to be served, meaning not to be waited on, but Jesus himself came to serve other people. So, Even in the same way that we're called to decrease so that he can increase, Jesus himself models this with his own life. He shows up on the scene and he starts washing his disciples' feet. You guys remember that story? And the disciples are like, no, 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 Jesus, don't. He's like, no, I have to do this because if I don't model this with my own life and my own conduct and my own behavior, then y'all ain't gonna do it. (laughs) Trust me, it's gonna be really hard when people make you mad and angry and when your boss gets on you to be their slave and their servant. This is tough. It's meant to be cutting. It's meant to impact us in such a way that makes us feel uncomfortable. Well, wait, I thought God only told me what I wanted to hear. I thought God was, you know, just wanting to make me feel warm and fuzzy all the time. He wants us to be uncomfortable. He wants this to stir up in us. Conflict so that we can learn to actually do what Jesus wants us to do here. Jesus came not to serve, but to serve others. Jesus, as our humble servant king, was willing to do this to the point of death. We know that because Jesus laid down his life for us on that cross. The ultimate symbol and picture of Jesus coming to serve rather than be served. How amazing is it that God saw fit to lovingly serve his own creation. I mean, what other God does that? Every other religion says, come up to me. Come, ascribe, climb, achieve, work your way to me. But in Christianity, we have this beautiful picture of the God who made the heavens and the stars coming down to serve us in humility and love. This isn't what we see typically in our culture today, is it? We don't typically see or like the word submission. We don't like the word slave. We don't like the word servant. We look down on those realities. But the truth is, in them, there's actually greater joy. There's actually greater freedom. John himself said, my joy is now complete. Why? Because John knew what it meant to be a servant. God, I'm sure John probably had other plans for his life. I'm sure he could have gone into the business market and made a whole lot of money. I'm sure he could have operated a trade and become very successful. But instead, he's the guy out in the desert eating wild locusts with honey. <laughs> I'm sure when, when John was, was coming up in the world, that wasn't exactly the picture that he had for his life. But John surrendered to it. Why? So that he could prepare the way. So that he could serve rather than be served. And this isn't popular today. Strong language. I understand. I understand. But this is the thing, church. God has called each and every one of us to this reality. To decrease by serving others. And this isn't just about your leaders and your pastors. Come on, this is about all of us. All of us stepping into this reality. So let me ask you, how are you currently serving other people? How you doing? Right? Let's take inventory of our lives. How are you doing in serving others? How are you doing in serving your family? How you doing in serving your friends? How you doing in serving your church? How you doing in serving your city? Come on, these are the kinds of questions that God wants us to wrestle with. And at Courageous Church, we make a big, we make a big, uh, a big noise and a big point about engaging people in a life of serving others. It's actually one of our core values. Let me remind you: a courageous life engaged in serving others. We believe that it's part of our calling to serve rather than be served. And here's the thing. It'd be really easy for us to ask you to come and not just put your feet up and make yourself at home and not do anything, but we'd be robbing you. We'd be robbing you of of the ability to do what God is asking of you. And we'd be robbing you of the blessing that comes from serving. The mark of maturity is this. When you Produce more than you consume. When you're a child, you consume. You're a consumer, right? Feed me, mom. Feed me, dad. Buy me things. Do things for me. Me, 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 I, 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 I. But then you put away childish things and you step into being a man or a woman and you learn to mature, hopefully. And you learn to give rather than just receive. You learn to produce rather than consume. The mark of a mature Christian is this. You produce more than you consume. You give more than you take. I wonder how we're doing in that department. Holy Spirit, help us. Encourage us, challenge us, convict us to see, Lord, where you want us to serve others rather than to be served. So we need to serve somebody in their are many ways that we want to help you guys do this practically. Currently, we're actually working on putting together a brand new food ministry and team here at Courageous Church. We want to practically serve people in our community by being able to help them with food and clothing and care. And together with Somos Vita, we're going to be partnering in the next few weeks and months to do just that each and every week through our food distribution ministry. It's going to be awesome. So if you want to be a part of that, Come see us, come talk to one of our team members. You can email us, info at courageouschurch.com. Of course, in the next couple of days and weeks, we're gonna be uh, blasting out information about how to do that and what days we're gonna be doing that on. Pretty awesome, amen? So number one, Christ increases when we serve others and we're gonna provide you lots of opportunities to do that here. This is actually one of the ways that we decrease so that he can increase in our lives. Number two, Christ increases when we open doors for others and I want to spend just a teeny bit of time here before we wrap up today when we speak about opening doors we're not just talking about physical doors okay when I was a kid my grandfather used to open the door for my grandmother and he did so as a gesture of respect and courtesy and honor today for some reason people look down upon that they they assume that that means that you're implying that they're incompetent to do so for themselves apparently I don't know But I always saw it as a gesture of honor. I always saw it as a gesture of respect and courtesy. But I'm not just talking about physical doors tonight. I believe God wants us to open spiritual doors for others, to open up doors of opportunity for people around us. And sadly, this too has been lost in our culture today. It's, I want to get to the front of the line, right? Fast pass. Anybody ever been to Disneyland? Well, last time I went to Disneyland years ago, they had this little app that you could download on your phone, which gives you the fast pass. You know what the fast pass is? It means you get to go to the front of the line. Woo, I love the fast pass. Especially when you're waiting in line for an hour in the middle of summer and it's 95 degrees. You love that fast pass. But unfortunately, this has repercussions and implications for our culture in that everything we do, we're trying to give people an opportunity to get to the front, to skip, <laughs> and to get right on up in there but I believe God is looking for people, people like you and me that are willing to say, you first. You f- No, after you. I believe God is looking for people like you and me that are willing to open doors for other people. To be door openers means that we're constantly aware of those around us in our life that we can be opening doors for. Hey, I, I heard you, you want to help lead worship. Well, cool, let me, let me help you. Let me show you how to do that. Let me give you an opportunity, an open door. Hey, cool. I heard you um, want to start your own business. Well, just so it turns out I'm a business owner. Let me help you. Let me open a door for you and show you how to open your own business. Hey, I heard that you love to cook. Well, I like to cook. So let me help you by showing you how to cook something really amazing. See, opening doors is being conscientious and aware of the people that God's put all around us each and every day that we can be door openers for. The idea of a door opener doesn't sound very glamorous. In fact, in the Bible, it wasn't. In the book of Psalms 84, listen to what the psalmist writes. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. Yeah, I'd rather be. In your presence, God, than anywhere else. I'd rather be in the temple praising you than anywhere else. But I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. What's a doorkeeper? Are you ready for this? It's someone who opens doors, it's someone who prepares the entryway, it's someone who says, Guess what? You first. And if it means I have to stand outside in the coal, in the snow, and open the door so that you can get in, well, then guess what? I'd rather do that than dwell in the house of the wicked. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than anything else so that you could come in, so that you could come in, so that you could come in, so that you could come in. And I believe that God is calling the church in 2021 to grab a hold of this like never before. It's time for the celebrities to step aside It's time for the me first attitude to be set aside. It's time for us to open some doors for some folks. And it doesn't have to be complicated, guys. It doesn't have to be difficult. There are people in your life right now that are looking up to you. You just don't know it yet. Parents, they're called your children. And they're waiting for you to open a door for them. Because they can't reach it. They're too small. They're too unlearned too unexperienced. They might even be too afraid. I don't know if I could ever sing like that guy or sing like that gal. So I'm just going to stand in the back. One of my all-time favorite stories is the story of a woman by the name of Darlene Check. She's a worship leader. She wrote the song Shout to the Lord back in the 90s, back in the day. She was a a big-time worship leader for Hillsong for, for many, many years. You guys remember You know what's amazing about the story is that she was in the choir and she was really insecure about her own voice. She didn't want to be the one up front. She didn't want to be in the spotlight. She didn't want to have record deals and albums. She didn't want to write one of the all-time best-selling songs of all time. That wasn't her her goal. She was back in the choir hiding out (laughs) behind everyone else. This doesn't really do the trick, I know. <laughs> she was hiding out. She didn't want anybody to notice her. But somebody did. They said, darling, come on up here. Darling, there's something on your life. Do you know how much humility it must have taken from the person standing in this seat to recognize that, to see that, to understand that, to not be intimidated by that, but to say, you've got to get up here and do my job you got to get through this door, girl, because there's something on your life. I wonder how many people in our lives are just waiting for those kinds of opportunities, for a doorkeeper to come along and say, you know what, you first. No, come on up here. No, 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 I know you're scared, but it's going to be okay. I'm going to be with you. All right, come on up, because better is one day in here than a thousand elsewhere. And we got people all around us like this, guys. I firmly believe it. There are world changers and history makers all around us, and they may even be in this room. So I want you to take a look around right now. And I want you to look and see who you might be able to open a door for. Just saying. John said, my joy is complete because I'm the guy that prepares the way that opens the door. That's the doorkeeper for my Lord and Savior, King Jesus. I think the road to greater joy... And fulfillment is found when we open doors for others. John knew it, Jesus knew it, and I believe that's the invitation to us to be doorkeepers and door openers in God's house. Amen? Amen. Finally, number three today Christ increases when we love others well. Jesus said this in John chapter 15, verse 13 Greater love has nobody say it with me, nobody, Nobody. than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. In other words, there's no greater expression of love than when someone lays down their life, their desires, their preferences, their options for the sake of their friends. We know from our earlier reading in John 3.29 that we looked at where John lays down his life for Jesus and he uses the word friend and speaking about the friend of the bridegroom. You guys remember that? We just looked at that a few minutes ago. And it's actually the same word that Jesus is using here in John 15 for friend. And the word is this, philos, and it means a dear friend or companion. How cool is that? Jesus is saying there's no greater love or display of love than for a person to lay down their life for their friends, for those that are near and dear to their heart. Now, it seems obvious enough, But in actuality, the question we should be wrestling with is twofold. Who are our friends, and how are we laying down our lives for them? So let me ask you, how are you doing in laying down your life for your friends? Now, let me challenge you. Some of you are not loving your friends well. You don't respond to their calls. You don't return their texts. You haven't been loving your friends well. Some of you go out to dinner with people, and you always wait for them to pick up the tab. Some of you are really good at taking. And God wants to challenge you tonight to become really good at giving. I believe Jesus knows that if we can lay down our lives for people that we actually love, it might actually get a little easier to do it for other people. I mean, think about it this way. If you can't love your friends who actually love you, how are you going to love anybody else? Later in the New Testament, Paul says, if you can't even do good for those within the household of faith, how can you be any good to the world. I believe Jesus wants us to understand this. And I believe this is one of the great ways that he increases in our life and we decrease. When we learn how to love, what does it mean to love? It means to to sacrificially lay your life down for another. I think part of our challenge is that our culture has become so casual. I'll get back to it. I'll delete the voicemail. I don't really need to, you know, listen to a message that someone just spent a whole minute recording for me. I know, I do it too. I'm like, can we just transcribe this sucker and get to the end? Come on, let's go. And, and I'm being a little silly here, but I want us to, to feel the bite of this a little bit, the sting of this, because we live in such a casual culture. We treat everybody very casually. We don't honor. We're like, ah, whatever. We treat people flippantly. They're not that important. And I'll get around to them when I've got time for them. But that's not the model of love that God is calling his church you and I, to embrace. He's calling us to lay down our lives. Beloved, let's not take our friends for granted. Let's not squander opportunities to be the people of of love to those that God's actually put in our lives and all around us. Let's love people well. But what about those that aren't close to us? What about our neighbors? What about our enemies? Well, as it turns out, Jesus says, love them as well. I don't want to do that, Jesus. I don't want to love people that are hard to love. But that's the call. Listen to Jesus in Matthew chapter 5, verse 43 through 44. You've heard it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for 21 days for those who persecute you. Pray for people that oppose you. No, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to punch them in the face. Jesus is like, listen, you've heard it said, do wrong to those that do wrong, right? An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, here's my interpretation. Here's my spin on this. I say, love them. I say, pray for them. When's the last time you prayed for somebody that did you wrong? When's the last time you loved somebody that was really hard to love? Now hear me on this, guys. Loving your enemies doesn't mean you have to be besties with them. Doesn't mean you have to be best friends. That's foolishness. That's going to get your heart hurt. It's okay to have boundaries. It's okay to love people from a distance. It's okay to love yourself enough to know not to step back into abusive relationship. So please hear me very clearly here. Jesus is not saying go back and be abused over and over and over. But guess what? You can still love them from afar. And you can do so by praying for them. That's why Jesus adds that onto the verse. Because he knows we're going to look for the escape hatch right? Well, I guess if they're, they're going to keep on abusing me, I don't have to love them. Well, guess what? You should love them, but this is how you're going to do it. You're going to pray for them. You're going to lift them up. You're actually going to wish them well. There's going to be zero resentment in your heart toward this person, and that's when you'll know that you're truly free, and that's when you'll know that you can truly love like I love the world. Jesus came to demonstrate this by laying down his life for people that spat on him, that ripped out his beard, come on, that pierced his side, that drove nails into his hands and feet. And that was all of us because of our sin. All of us are in that picture. None of us get to be let off that hook. But this is hard, isn't it? Loving people that are difficult to love. Loving those that oppose us. He must increase and we must Decrease. And this is how we do it. I think this is one of the key areas that this actually gets tested in our life. This is one of those areas that God's going to test. Like, you can love your family, cool. You can love your friends even better. But can you love your enemies? Can you love that person that cuts you off in traffic? Can you love that person that did you wrong? Person that broke your heart? Woo! If He's going to increase, then we must decrease, meaning our desire to hold on to things that give us a sense of entitlement, that make us feel uh, vengeance, that give us a sense of righteousness, are things that we have to be willing to lay down. And this is one of those ways that we do that. So let me encourage you with this final thought before we pray. I believe God wants us to be a people that can serve rather than be served, that can open doors for those nobody wants to open doors for and that can love other people well. This is how we're going to see Christ enlarged in our life. Amen. Thank you for listening today. If you were blessed and you want to be a part of what God is doing through Courageous Church, including ways that you can give, visit us online at CourageousChurch.com.